Good morning, everybody. Yeah. Welcome to Woodlands Church. We are so thrilled that you're here today. Let's just start the day off after this praise now with prayer. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here, to worship you, worship your name, Lord Jesus. We're here because we love you. We want to thank you for your goodness, your kindness in our lives. And we're here to hear a word from you, Lord. So please let our hearts be tender, our ears be open. Help us to focus our minds, um, letting go of everything, all the details that have been swirling about all week, and focus on you and what you have to say to us as your children. In your name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Guys, it is a great day to be at church. I just want to tell you that we have a really special service planned for you. So I'm thrilled that you're here. If you're listening online, welcome, because this is a message that will grab your heart. We have special guests here today, Catherine and Jay Wolf. And in our day, in our culture, there's a lot of heroes around, right? Usually it's a sports star, an entertainment star, the people who are our heroes because they can hit a ball really far or catch a ball well or act well. And I'm not knocking any of those things. I'm all for professional sports, all for entertainment. But we've gotten mixed up in trying to understand what a hero is. You see, there's a difference. A hero is someone who actually lives out the principles with character in their lives. And they're someone that we want to strive to be like. And so we have here a couple today who are going to share their story. And I hope you'll recognize in that that there's something for you, something for me, something all of us can learn. You know, we've talked before as a church about good things and hard things and how hard is not the opposite of good. It just isn't. About five years ago, when our grandson, Jude Samuel, went to be with the Lord, our family walked through very publicly what that looked like because we were going through something very, very hard, but yet God has turned it to something very good. Does that miss, mean that we don't miss Jude Samuel? He lived for one day. No, we miss him with all our hearts, but yet we have the hope that we will see him again. And as a church family, you came alongside us and helped us. And, and there have been times when we've had the joy and privilege to come alongside of you when you've had a hard time. And that's what family is, this church family. We're here to, to lean into each other as we lean into the Lord together. So I want to introduce to you Catherine and Jay. Please give them a warm welcome. And get ready to hear a, a, a wonderful story. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Right. Good morning. How you doing? Want to knock our coffee over? Goodness gracious. Uh, yeah, important. me too. Okay. We're so grateful to be with you all this morning. How you feeling? You feeling okay? It's okay. You can clap in church. You can feel good about being alive. That's important. We, uh, we feel the same way. What a gift to, to get to worship with you. My name is Jay Wolf. I'm Catherine. And uh, this morning, we're going to share 
a bit of what God has been teaching us about living this good hard life through the lens of our story, and we pray that it illuminates something new in the life of your story today as well. So right about now, if you didn't know who the guest speakers were going to be today, you could be a little bit bummed because there's a lady in a wheelchair on the stage, and this looks like it could be a sad story about a couple going through some really hard things. And you had fun Sunday brunch plans, and we're hoping this was going to be a joyful, inspirational moment. And instead, this looks like it could make you really sad. Or maybe you're like the sweet church lady in the back who's whispering, bless their hearts. <laughs> um, I can assure you, I, I don't think this is going to be a bummer by the end of our time together. Um, I hope not, at least. However, I don't want to do the opposite with our time with you today. I don't really care so much about inspiring you in your life right now. Um, I think inspiration can be great for, you know, a few days, a few weeks, but inspiration probably isn't going to last when your life maybe falls apart down the road. I like to say I'm not so much concerned with inspiration, but application to your life and your story and your specifics, even though they may be wildly different than ours. You know, I like to make a pretty provocative statement that we're all disabled. It's not just um, those of us with wheelchairs on the outside that um, I believe we all have invisible wheelchairs. We're all going through hard things, not just those of us with stuff on the outside. And I, I didn't get a pass. I have stuff on the outside and plenty of stuff on the inside that's not okay. That's really hard. I, is, is anyone's life completely perfect here? You have absolutely everything together, and it's exactly like you thought it was going to be when you were a child. Is there a hand? No. No, I don't imagine so. Everybody has pain and problems and hard stuff in their story, and whether it's relational, financial, emotional, whatever, everybody's got invisible wheelchairs, I believe. But I think what has been such a comfort um, to us through these years is recognizing, for me, I'm not wheelchair-bound, as people say, wheelchair-bound. I'm actually living in wheelchair freedom because the wheelchair is helping me do my life. The wheelchair is my vehicle, my avenue to go where I want to go and to be where I want to be. In fact, it's the reason I'm here right now in this moment is because the wheelchair brought me out here. So I think there's maybe a way we can start to redefine things in our lives. I think the upside down kingdom of God is that, that we, we can see when our lives are potentially upended, that we can live more closely into the upside-down kingdom of God. And I think the powerful 
connection point to you, that this personal story is a universal story, right? So Catherine said, we all have invisible wheelchairs, and she also said that this wheelchair is not something she's bound to, but it's actually the vehicle to her freedom, to her being in the world. She can't walk well, but how do we get to the Atlanta airport if we don't have this wheelchair, right? And if that is true for her, I want to make kind of a profound sort of rhetorical question and statement. Could that be true for the invisible wheelchairs in your life because of Jesus? <laughs> that the thing that looks like a picture of limitation in your story, a thing that looks like a, a, a representation of what it should not be, that because of Jesus, that could actually be an avenue to a new kind of freedom in him. That's the hope that we're talking about, sort of this upside-down logic that is just the opposite of, of what is valued and what is uplifted in the world. The wheelchair is not what is, was, was ideal. It's not what we dreamed of when we were little. But God's shown us so much of his power, as it says in Corinthians, through our weakness. Mm. And if we're being real with ourselves, we all live into the weakness of what it means to be human but we have this transcendent hope that we lean into towards this new kind of freedom. And so uh, we hope today that sharing some of our story might just kind of, some sparks might go off in your own life about that story of limitation actually being one to a new kind of freedom because of Jesus. So Kath and I met actually um, in college. We're from Alabama and Georgia. And we shortly after we met in college, got married uh, in November. So we're actually coming up on our 19th wedding anniversary this November, which is pretty miraculous in and of itself. And um, thanks, thanks. thank you. That's, that's kind of a big deal. And uh, we're, yeah. we're grateful to keep doing this life together and uh, this marriage. But we got, got married by, by my dad, who was a pastor, and uh, this beautiful fall day in Georgia. And he decided to give the wedding sermon from Matthew 7. And if you know that parable, Jesus is asking the crowd, what kind of foundation are you building your life on, your house on, right? Um, if you build it on the sand, when the storms of life inevitably come, everything's going to fall apart. But if you built your house on the rock, then no matter the storms, you're going to be able to withstand. And at 22, you know, we, we think we know everything. We're like, Dad, that is the most depressing wedding message we've ever heard. <laughs> what are you talking about storms? Oh, my gosh. This is the love chapter. You should have really done that one, <laughs> yeah. obviously. But... um. In his wisdom, he just felt God putting that over our life to say, like, it matters what you found yourselves on right now, even at 22, even when the future is bright and no storms or clouds even are in sight, it matters right now what you found your life on. So somehow with those words still ringing in our ears and heads and hearts, um, we moved to California. We just felt like we were going to have this adventure in this next stage of our life. I had gotten to law school in Pepperdine. Uh, out there in Los Angeles, and Catherine had been doing some kind of commercial print modeling uh, in the Southeast and had had some success, and so she got an agent in L.A. and thought she would try her hand modeling in the big city. Yeah, I, and guys, I mean, you probably heard of Catherine Wolf before. I was a really big model in California. Um, we brought the pinnacle of my work so that you could see what a big deal it was. Um, here I am at the Tiki Hut at Disneyland, modeling the Tiki Hut Moo Moo for their online catalog before anyone had computers in 2004. So, I'd made it, and I've discovered the reason uh, I'm on earth. So proud. <laughs> so proud. Um, Kidding. I, I do need to say, 
that is not me. That is a strange man holding my wife's hand in that <laughs> really beautiful shirt. There's a lot going on. Um, so anyway, we, we had come to this sweet stage of life and adventure, lots of highs and lows in our careers, and uh, mostly just having this beautiful adventure together. And, and we did listen to my dad's advice in that first Sunday in L.A. We found a church, and actually we stayed there the entire 14 years that we were in L.A., and I, I say without a doubt, we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the body of Christ and that church family that we found out there, that community. Um, and just a quick plug, since we are at a church today, like if you don't have a church home that you have given yourself to, that you can know and be known in and, and give your gifts to and not just be on the back row and kind of sneak in and out, but that you can participate meaningfully in this community, this this church is a beautiful home and a beautiful option. So we can't we can't just praise enough what the body of Christ does for us as we're humans living out this hard story together, right? So we actually, uh, again, a couple months into being married, uh, jumped into this church, and they, they had like a young marrieds kind of a Sunday school class. And apparently the leaders left, and they said, does anybody want to lead this group? And we're kind of the guilty, you know, Southern firstborn volunteers, and we're like, we'll lead it. <laughs> and uh, for some stupid reason, they led us, even though we were 22 and had been married six months. But we were the now leaders of the young married Sunday school class. But God was really sweet to allow this. And so often in our lives, God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us eventually. And so that season, we were, we were deep in scripture and community and talking about hard issues and marriage and thinking about all these, these things theologically and, and in community deeply. And it was, it was this gift of, of a preparatory season. And then we did something I never recommend people doing, especially if you're in, you know, uh, grad school or something like that. Um, but we had a baby. It was a little earlier than we thought. In our, it wasn't our five-year plan, but it was in God's five-year plan. And James Thompson Wolf was born in the fall of 2007. And um, actually six months, almost to the day after that picture was taken, we would experience that incredible storm that would shake our foundations to the very core in April of 2008. Yeah, as Jay said, it was six months and five days after James was born. And I woke up and I felt just weird and off. And since I had maybe six months before, I didn't think anything of these weird feelings. I just thought, oh, I'm tired, I haven't slept, I'm breastfeeding, you know, I've got this baby, so I'm just kind of yuck. And I have no medical history, no family history, no prior symptoms, no indication that anything would be the matter. So I just kind of get on with the day, put the baby down for a nap later, and then end up, these feelings get worse and worse, and I end up collapsing. And I'm throwing up, and Jay actually miraculously comes home between his final law school classes and is able to call 911. And the paramedics come, and determined it's something very serious, pack me up on the stretcher. And I can remember my thoughts in those first moments. Um, I mean, almost being embarrassed, like everybody's making such a big deal and this isn't a big deal. And I probably ate a weird burrito yesterday and had food poisoning and this is nothing. And then I lose consciousness as we leave the apartment 
um, we're living in, and I only regained consciousness two and a half months later. So I'd been um, in a coma-like state all that time. And, and I have no memory, but um, Jay does. <laughs> really bad burrito. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish. No. Um, so, yeah, as we're, we're talking about this day when everything changed, maybe in your own mind right now, you're thinking of the day when everything changed in your life. Um, sort of that diagnosis or that phone call or losing that loved one when that happened. And, you know, what happens in our stories when those days happen is a line is run straight through the middle of it. And we can't ever go back to how things used to be, right, no matter how much we try or pray or hope. And there's a new normal and a new story now in front of us that we get to choose to st step into. And uh, so that day was April 21st of 2008 for us. And, um, you know, that chapter of our life, all those dreams that we had just right in front of us after law school, a new baby, all these things that we surely were going to have happen, were all hanging by a thread within a few minutes out of the blue. And this is the world we live in. It's not safe, you know, and there's um, incredible unknowns that we wake up to every day. And... Um, remember grabbing our son and going behind the ambulance down the Pacific Coast Highway and just, you know, just this feeling of chaos, this upendedness. And uh, we arrived to the hospital, and, I, and I'll never forget seeing this giant billboard outside of the hospital of UCLA Medical Center, uh, which I didn't even know they had a, you know, a hospital. I knew they were a college. But the ambulance was taking us there, and, and it said, UCLA Medical Center, best hospital in the West, number three in the country. And there was this sense in the chaos that God was, was making order, that he was bringing us to exactly where we needed to be. And I, I ran into the ER that afternoon on a Monday, just an ordinary day, and was confused because I saw familiar faces. And it was my church family who had come ahead of me when the bottom had fallen out of my life. And this is the gift that we get to give each other as the church that I don't think we, we really realize the full beautiful opportunity that we have to show up and give the ministry of presence and give the ministry of tears to each other, to make the invisible God visible when we need him the most. You know, sometimes we just, we wonder, God, where are you? And I think he says, look around. My body is here, and this body of Christ is me, you know, hugging you, having my chest to beat on when you need it. And that's what my people and my church family gave us and taught us in that um, season, and it changed everything. And they gathered around me as I met the doctor who just happened to be on call that day, who was this world-renowned neurosurgeon at UCLA, and he just happened to be the one on call, known for taking the hardest cases. And he said, I, I do need you to know that your wife is suffering a massive stroke. Um, we think it's due to a congenital defect she's had her whole life, called an AVM. It's very rare, but we, you know, she didn't have any warning of it. There's really no symptoms, no family history. But unfortunately, it's the largest that he had ever seen. It had four aneurysms on top of it. It was abutting her brainstem and the pressure of the bleed that was happening, he said, was really unsurvivable. And just to set the right expectation, they, they didn't even know if they could attempt surgery. And, and the reality was that I was a lawyer, and that was not helping the case either, I don't think. But I think um, as he went to contemplate it in his uh, office, I think the Holy Spirit really spoke to him that he needed to help give this young mama a second chance of, of life. And so he decided to take her back into surgery for what would be about eight hours. And so we went then with my community to the waiting room of the ER. And, you know, I've grown up in church. My dad's a pastor. Um, and I have never been in a more holy place than that waiting room. And maybe you know what I mean if you've been in those spots too. But that night we just experienced the, the most poignant 
crying out to God. You know, the, the, the pinnacle of worship is not when it's all going perfectly right, but it's really when everything's falling apart because we know that if God does not intervene, there is no way forward for us. And so we cried out in so many ways, but we also just, we laughed and we sang and we had this beautiful communion. We broke bread, which was pizza really, but it was just this communal communion moment um, of just um, coming together and knowing that we weren't alone in this horrible pain that we were experiencing. And we read out of Romans 8, which Catherine had memorized as a child. And these beautiful promises and passages are some of the most profound in all of Scripture. But you might have read these, you know, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ and that God is working together all things for good. And yet, maybe you've felt this way too. That felt like kind of a lie when my wife lay dying on an operating room table. <laughs> didn't feel very good and didn't feel very loving. And it was really confusing to even speak those words out in faith. But the beauty of the body of Christ is that we get to hope for each other until we can hope for ourselves again. <laughs> and so that's what that community did that night as we read those beautiful promises and, and believed them in a new kind of way and actually bet Catherine's life on those promises. And, and the hours continued to pass. The sun came out that next morning on April 22nd, and uh, the, the surgeon came out exhausted and said two words that we actually celebrate to this day on April 22nd. He said, Catherine lived. And, and so um, every year we just celebrated 15 years of Catherine living this second chance life this past April 22nd. But um, Oh, that's, that's super sweet. Um, and really, we're all living a second chance life if we have eyes to see it that way, right? Yeah. And so um, he said, Catherine lived, but we don't know if she's going to wake up. We had to remove half of her cerebellum. We did a lot of damage around the brainstem and sacrificed a lot of things just so she could sustain life. But uh, she might be paralyzed. We don't, we don't know. But we're going to put her in a coma for a couple of days, medically induced, to just let her body heal. And we'll see what happens. And so um, I believe that the smallest sign of life is the beginning of hope for all of us, whether that's in a marriage or a relationship or our own heart. The beginning of just a little flicker of life is the beginning of a new kind of hope. And so we began the process of fanning that hope into flame and that night, the doctor got a page from the ER and ran back up thinking that Catherine had died. And the nurse met him um, and, and was almost giddy. And she said, no, she's actually trying to wake up out of this coma already. Not only has she not died, she's trying to wake up. And so, as you can tell, uh, they don't make medically induced comas that can keep this woman from communicating <laughs> that she was in there, don't give up on me. And it was, a, it was an incredible gift of grace uh, that God gave us to to help us keep enduring what was ahead. Um, and so Catherine, they would say, lift your, you know, wiggle your toes. And she was totally unconscious, but she would wiggle her toes so she wasn't paralyzed. And, and they would say, lift your fingers, and she would lift uh, so she wasn't brain dead or damaged. And it was this just beautiful sort of new resurrected life. And um, they would put her on life support for 40 days to learn how to breathe again on her own. And what's really cool is that, again, it wasn't 39 or 41, but it was 40 days, which is this number of, of wandering in the wilderness towards this promised land. And it's so important to tell ourselves our stories, to go back and remember them so that the details come alive and we remember and see God's hand at work and how he was leading us even then towards this promised future. And it didn't feel like a promised future when I woke up in the acute rehab. 
everyone is saying, oh, this is just such a profound miracle. This miracle girl, she lived and nothing could have felt more, less, I guess you'd say, less like a miracle. Felt like my life was blown up and it was horrible and painful on every level. I'd never even heard of an AVM before. It's, uh, maybe, maybe you have, but you probably haven't. It's extremely rare. And um, I just couldn't make sense of my body didn't work anymore. I'm 26 years old. I'm a young, healthy mom. And it was just horrific to know how to move forward. I had a feeding tube installed that they fed me through for 11 months. And um, it, was, it was just the, the horrific. And while it was so horrible and painful, the very worst part was that I had this little baby that's now growing up and mama's in the hospital. So sweet friends and family are caring for him and bringing him to see me at the hospital. But it was, I mean, the stuff of your nightmares every day, because it's like Groundhog Day to me every day. They're bringing in the baby and my maternal instincts are kicking in. And I'm thinking, oh good, today's the day that he gets to stay with me in the hospital because I'm his mother and I'll take care of them and I'll modestly breastfeed and we'll figure this out. And it would take many months before I could understand that I was in no state to take care of a baby. On myself, and it was horrific. I think we have the picture of my first Mother's Day, maybe. Um, that picture is, is so special um, to me, but it's so hard to see. I have no memories of that day. Um, and my friends dressed up Jamesy in a mom onesie, and um, yeah, it was really sad. And I like to make the point. Um, that there can be sadness that remains. You know, I'm full of a lot of joy in the Lord and so much hope. And I almost want to always speak, but I share that there is a low-grade sorrow as well, that there's so much just, just gratefulness to the Lord. He's done such amazing things. And yet, while I am on earth, I will never have a first Mother's Day again with my first baby. And that is sad. And that will be sad my entire life. If I had 10,000 more babies and more Mother's Days, that's still sad. And I think that as a Christian community, we have really messed that one up. That we've said, oh, everything must be redeemed and restored a thousand percent and you've got to feel fully healed. No, I think there can be sadness and sorrow in a really good story that God's writing. There can be hard things and painful things. You're not going to forget horrible things you've been through. You're going to carry that with you through your life. And there's treasures there, I believe, in the darkness. It says in Isaiah 45, 3. But those um, tools in your backpack stick with you your whole life, and they inform how you live. I, um, I'm not going to forget the things that have happened. They've left scars, but I think scars can be the best part of the story. 
I mean that. And that's hard to, hard to say and hard to live and hard to hear. But I think it's true. I was slowly um, able to move from the acute rehab to then a brain rehab, a group brain rehab, where I would stay for another nearly year and a half. And that's when I started to relearn to eat and speak and swallow. And it was horrible, absolutely terrible to relearn basic function. And um, yeah, I, um, I felt the Lord deeply, deeply encouraged me at my very lowest moments, for I honestly wondered, did God make a mistake leaving me on earth? Should I be here in this broken body, broken state? And I felt in my very lowest moments, the Lord deeply encouraged me with the truth. I had known largely since I was a little girl that he does not make mistakes. That if I am still on earth with breath in my lungs, there's a reason for it. And the same is true for you. That if we were not supposed to be here, we would not be here. That God knows exactly what he is doing. That when that little tiny AVM was in my brain, it was in my mother's utero. I was born with this brain defect. So I was fearfully and wonderfully made, I believe, in my mother's womb. And that is where that speck was. And it would grow and grow till I was 26 and rupture. So how can I not see the, the story the Lord is writing has been in place all along? And he's called me to this life. In fact, he's called me, this says in Ephesians 4.1, to live a life worthy of this calling that I've received. And that was kind of the moment that changed everything for me, was recognizing that, in fact, this was a holy calling, that my life was assigned to me, and I had to live a life worthy of this. Yeah. And that... Um epiphany of hope when you realize maybe there's a purpose in this new normal, in this story that you can step into, it's a beautiful thing. And it changes your ability to get up out of bed in the morning into this story. But it doesn't necessarily change any of the specifics of your life, right? Um, and so it would be another year almost until Catherine could eat food a little bit again, which still she struggles with to this day. It would be another 18 months until she could kind of walk a little bit. And it would be another two years until we could go back home to our community and to our life. And again, sometimes when you go through suffering, you think you can sneak back in the back door of your life and just sort of nothing to see here. You know, we're back. Pretend that it didn't happen, but that's not the way it works because suffering, when we experience it, births us into somebody new. And even in relationship, we are birthed into new people all the time. And so the, the question and, and the challenge is to roll over and look at somebody that looks totally new and realize they're thinking the same thing about you and to say, will, will I learn to love a new person? Will I learn to love a new story? Will I be able to dream new dreams that are different than the ones I ever imagined living out in my life? And so we went back home to, to LA and again, had to redefine things. I think we had sort of thought home was this hope that we were going towards, but the question is what, what are we what are we really hoping in? And is it going to be transcendent enough to keep us going no matter what the outcomes look like? And 
Um, that was tested many, many times and continues to this day through our story. But two years, two and a half years after the stroke, we went back to see Dr. Gonzalez, the neurosurgeon who operated and saved Catherine's life. And it was, you know, he'd become this dear friend and uh, somebody who saved your life. It's just such a beautiful relationship. And so we came in, he had done some scans, you know, annually to check on her brain. And he came into the waiting room and was crying. And um, that's not great when your doctor's crying when he's going to tell you something about your health. So... We were like, um, you know, what's going on? And he said, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have a separate brain aneurysm, um, a new one. And it's on the other side of your, your, your brain, your kind of the good side, unaffected side. And I'm so sorry. And, you know, we just felt kicked in the gut kind of by God. And maybe you felt this too. You've overcome things and you've been faithful. And then something else happens. And you're like, God, I thought we had a deal. <laughs> like, I thought you wouldn't especially let more brain stuff happen, right? Like, we've already check that off the bucket list, you know, of endurance and suffering. And now we want to go to the, to the vacations and things like that. And um, God has, has been teaching us since then, you know, that we're at this crossroads every day when we, we, when we wake up and God is saying, what is it that you want from me? You know, do you just want to use me so that maybe you won't be in as much pain anymore? Or do you want to know the healer of the whole world? You know, do you just think you're expecting a life because you've been through so much and that I should give you something? Or do you want to know the giver of every good and perfect gift and lean into this good heart, really beautiful, but really painful story of life with God? Because as Catherine said, just because we know God and have found this hope and are doing it in community doesn't mean that life won't have this thread of sorrow through it. Jesus was the man of constant sorrow, even though he knew the end of the story. And so I think we can give our sorrow to God. We don't have to carry it alone either, but that's what this next phase of our life has been about. What do we do with those wounds? As Catherine says, the scars can be the best part. We see resurrected Jesus with scars, so there's something dignifying in our scars. Our scars mean that we lived. <laughs> they are the story of our wounds, but also of our triumph and our resilience, right? And so what do we do with the pain that we've been through? Is it just for nothing? Is it just a horrific, traumatic memory? I think so often God is calling us back to the places of our wounding so that not only we can be healed, but that we can be a part of somebody else's healing. And I think for so long, we just said, gosh, the story of disability, stroke survivors, the story of the hospitals and the brain rehabs, God, like, we'll go anywhere but back there. It was too much. It was too painful. And maybe in your own life, maybe about the invisible wheelchair, you're thinking of those places of your wounding, of the, the pain of your story. And I believe that so many times God is saying, if you go back to that place of, of your worst moments and you find somebody who now is in that place and you tell them that they're getting out, that there is hope, they're going to listen to you. They're going to believe you in a different way. What is it that you wish somebody had told you in that darkest season? Whatever you wish somebody had told you, can you go be the one to now tell somebody who's there? It changes everything. And, and we have been healed deeply because of that sort of philosophy that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 1, that you've been given hope, not just so you can hoard it, but that you can give it away. <laughs> you've been given comfort by the God of all comfort so that you can give that comfort away and say, God is the one who gave this to me and he give it to you too. And that cycle of hoping it forward has changed everything. It's healed our hearts in so many ways deeply. And so we said, gosh, this story is not just Catherine's story. This is our whole family's story of disability. 
the story of suffering is a whole family story. And so we wanted to create a place. If the world is not really made for the story of disability, can we create a, a place that is, that represents the kingdom of God? And so we, uh, seven years ago, created this camp called Hope Heals Camp. And man, we had no business cre- creating the camp. We're not big camp people. We're more hotel people. You know, wheelchairs <laughs> don't do great outside in the great outdoors. But something about getting out of your normal routine with people in, in nature um, changes how you view your life. And so we created this camp, and it has changed our life um, to see families that are living out other really hard stories, but doing it with a lot of joy together has changed everything. And it's continued to motivate us to find how we can bridge this story of disability into the typically able world, because we believe that as, as God says, and, and Jesus says throughout even the, the Beatitudes that Blessed are those who are meek and who are weak and who are on the margins. You know, there's all this, just this constant refrain that it matters that the kingdom of God uplift those who the world thinks are invisible. And when we do that, the kingdom of God comes alive in incredible ways. You can keep um, showing these pictures while I talk about camp, if you will, A.B. Dude, because... I want y'all to know, first of all, there's a ton of families from Houston, both coming to volunteer and coming as campers, so you guys should come to our camp. It's glorious. But also, the takeaway for all of us is so beautiful of Hopefield's camp that somehow, some way, when you gather so many people with disabilities on the outside of their body, there's this crazy, like, electrifying freedom because nobody's pretending everything is okay. It's clear. It's not okay. Things are pretty messed up here. There's amputees and people in wheelchairs, kids in wheelchairs everywhere, and people talking to themselves and just all kinds of sadness, you'd think. But instead, everybody's, like, loving it. And we realized it's because we are all corporately disrupting the lie that joy can only come in a pain-free life, and it's glorious. I think every church in America should be that way, so I know that we're disrupting the lie, the idol, that joy can only come when there's no pain, because it's not true. I want to tell you guys something really exciting that happened. Um, In conjunction with a beautiful new baby called our camp, I also was able to become pregnant after I had the aneurysm removed and have a new baby, John Nestor, who um, is, thanks, thank you. Thanks. John John is just this profound gift um, to our lives. He's eight years old now and making us crazy still. He's he's wild and wonderful. And his name, John Nestor, is um, just an extra Easter egg gift to us because his middle name, Nestor, was for in honor of my neurosurgeon, Nestor Gonzalez. Um, But what we didn't know when we named him John Nestor is that Nestor in Hebrew means seeker of miracles. So I know, we can't make this up. So we named our kid the seeker of miracles. And it's just just 
such a sweet blessing to now have both these boys. We have James, who's now 16 years old, and the big one there, and then John is eight, the little one there, and we are a family of four. And um, life's gone on, thanks. Thank you. And that picture is actually from my 40th birthday last year. I know y'all thought I was 20, but I'm 40. So um, that 40th birthday picture could make you really sad if all you knew was that that mother can't even stand up for a family portrait on her 40th birthday. Like, oh, how sad. Or you could look at that very same picture and see so many amazing things. You could see, oh my gosh, that little six-month-old baby is now a thriving 16-year-old, six-foot man-child. You could see there's a miracle eight-year-old baby, the grown-up in that picture. There's a husband who stayed with his wife when their life blew up. There's a woman who turned 40 who should not be here. There's like new life where there should only be death in that picture. And that is extracted from the very same picture where you could just see sadness. Do you know what I mean? It's crazy as people how we do this. We see exactly what we want to see. You know, the deep truth for all of us as Christ followers is that we get to decide how we feel about the story. Do you know that? It's this crazy game changer that we can see something and extract very different things from our world. Do you know this? We don't control what happens to us in life. Control of anything is an illusion, honestly. But what we have complete control over is how we respond to what happens to us, how we think about it, how we narrate it, how we feel about the story that God is writing through our lives. To close, we want to share what we share with our boys every night um, as part of that re-narration over them. And we realize so often they pray at night like how we all pray. You know, God, thank you for a good day. Help me have a good day tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of good. I was like, but what if it's hard? What if tomorrow is really hard? Because we've seen that tomorrow is so unknown. It might be the best day. might be the worst day. It might be the last day. <laughs> so how do we weave this reality with a lot of compassion into our kids' lives and to the lens that they put on as they view the world, as they go out into it? And how do we remember it ourselves? So we, we begin praying over them every night, and we want to just bless you with this as you close these words that we say, James and John, God made you to do the hard thing in the good story that he's writing for your life. And he has equipped you with everything you need, namely himself, to accomplish the good work that he's called you to in this world. Mm -hmm. And so we say over you, church, and we, we, we say it over ourselves, we're preaching to our own heart. God made us to do hard things in this world, and we don't have to be afraid as much because he is with us, we are with each other. And this story that we are living out as individuals, personally, but universally, is a good story because God doesn't write any other kind of stories. We thank you for having us today. We're with you and for you, we love you. And um, thank you so much.
bless you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, you are. Oh, don't share that. Glory to God. Oh, so wonderful. Yeah, don't you just love these guys? I am so grateful for real people who will give us honesty and truth. Truth in love. You can be seated. I want to let you know that they have um, a couple of books that they have written, and we have a few copies in our bookstore. You can just go online wherever you buy your books. Um, one is called Hope Heals, and another Suffer Strong, and then another one will be coming out in the spring. And uh, you can also find them at Hope Heals um, Podcast um, if you want to hear more about their story, the ongoing, ongoing story. What about you? What about your story? It turns out that the surface stuff that goes on in our lives, the things that you would answer me with, if I said, hey, what's going on in your life? You'd say, well, I just moved and this part's crazy, or I just started a new job. I just had a new baby. This is going on in my relationships, and it's hard. And we, we would start describing the hard stuff, right, the problems that are going on in our lives. But it turns out that is not our story. That is not your story. The surface stuff going on is not your story. The story of your life is the story of your relationship with your creator, with the one who made you, and it's a good one. He's writing a good story in your life. Every one of us has a hidden hurt, and that's something that here at Woodlands Church we try to remind each other of a lot because it's very easy to focus on who looks like they're having trouble and who looks like they're not having trouble. I've found that oftentimes it's people who look the most put together who are really the most broken on the inside. We've all been in some way conditioned by our culture that we're supposed to put off the air that everything's good in our lives. How you doing? Great. How are you doing? Awesome. And meanwhile, we're crying every night into our pillows. But yet, we can start to feel like there's this need to act like we've got it all together. We're perfect. My story's good. Truth is, your story is good. But that doesn't mean there's an absence of hard things. And so, as Catherine and Jane mentioned about their, the camp and how the kids come together, and it's great it's a joyful place because, hey, they don't have to hide their disabilities. You can just say, yeah, whatever. We've all got them. Now let's have fun together. And that is a picture of our church. That's why I'm so grateful for you guys. This is the most joyful church I know of because we don't try to act like we have it all together because we're all hurting and we're here for each other. The Bible says that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes doesn't say that all things are good. It says all things work together for good. And I can say that the hard things in Catherine and Jay's life have been good for me. I'm willing to bet they've been good for you today. Why? Because it's brought out this story of truth and hope and confidence in our creator. 
So what do you do when something really hard comes into your life and the answer to your prayers is not at all what you expected or wanted? Maybe you can't think of one good reason why you shouldn't get the answer you want because how could this possibly be wrong? But as they mentioned, God doesn't make mistakes. The beautiful thing is, the thing that really takes the pressure off is the story isn't about us in the first place. The story God's writing is his story. We get to be a part of it. I'm so grateful we get to be a part of it together. And something they mention that's so true, it resonated with me, is that low-level sadness in our lives. That low-level, low-grade sorrow that is always there. And that it's okay to admit that. It's okay. It's, we all have the, the low-grade sorrow that things have not turned out the way we would have planned. And you know what that feeling is? It's homesickness. We're not in the place we were created for. There's a place prepared for you if you're trusting Christ. There's a place prepared for you, and that's, that's our home. We live in a world that's broken. Of course, everything doesn't feel right. But our home and that part of us in our soul that's longing for it, we feel a homesickness, the sorrow. Things are not just how they should be, but one day they will be. And we're promised that the sad things will become untrue. If you have not come to that place in your own life where you've asked Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for you, for him to enter your heart, to be your Lord and Savior, to join in his story, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you pray with me? And if, if you've never prayed this before, just pray silently in your heart. God's right there. He's so close listening to you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you saw me before the beginning of time, that you saw me in my mother's womb, that you had me on your mind when you hung on that cross. And right now, I ask you to forgive me of these sins I confess to you, and, and I accept what you did on the cross for me to bridge the gap between me and God. Thank you that you've promised eternal life to all who trust you. And that's what I'm doing right now. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And there's all kinds of ways that we want as a church to help you grow. And if it's maybe been many years since you prayed that prayer and Jesus Christ has been in your life, let's keep growing. Let's, with every step, keep getting closer to him. Step by step, day by day. In a couple weekends on November 11th and 12th, we're celebrating our church anniversary, 30th church anniversary, and it's going to be a great celebration. I hope you will be here for that because you won't want to miss it as we continue to grow and grow closer to him, closer to Christ, more like him. Now, you've gotten to be around a couple that I've I mentioned are, are heroes, and 
What's even more, I want to share with you another couple that's a hero right before we leave here. And that is Shaloxel and Vivian Johansson, our wonderful, loving, you guys know them well. They're our dear, dear friends of our church from Sweden. And Shell is the dean of our Woodland Seminary. His wife, Viv, is just amazing. If you want, you ought to get some people in your life that you can look to and say, yeah, that's what I want to be like. Yeah, that's, yeah, sure, no human is perfect, but it sure is wonderful to have real life role models with skin on. And that's what these guys are to Carrie and I. We love them so much, and we have watched them walk faithfully, faithfully. And they're not stopping, let me tell you. I mean, we got to celebrate Viv's 80th birthday this summer. And do you think they're stopping sharing God's word and his goodness? No way. Their light keeps burning brighter and brighter just with, with every day. I hope all of us will be that way. But um, they're heading back to Sweden in just a few hours. And so before they go, uh, we wanted to, to just pray for them and bless them. First, Shell is going to share a few words, and then we're going to pray for them. So, Shell. Yeah, that's... Would you stand with me and, and let's together pray for these guys, bless them, pray them out as they head back to Sweden. Wow, Father, we are so grateful, just forever grateful for your goodness in sharing these good people with us. Father, giving us an example, a real life example of what faithfulness to you through the through the decades, through the generations, looks like. And now as they, as they head back, we ask that you'd bless them as they travel, that you would make the, the journey uh, go quickly and lightly, that you would surprise them with your goodness at every step, that you would keep them healthy, Lord, and focused on you, joy in their home during the dark winter in Sweden, that you would be such a bright light in their lives. And we pray that you would give them exactly the, the teachings and the words um, that you have to share um, with our church and the seminary students this coming spring. Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for letting all of us be a part of what you're doing. And thank you for Shaloxel and Vivian. Yeah, we couldn't have made this up. We would never have found them, Lord Jesus, but you brought them to our church, and we're so grateful. Bless them, Lord. Bless them a lot. In your name we pray. Amen. We love you guys. After the service, I hope you'll stick around for the fall festival going on. But we are going to close in song together right now. I hope you'll sing out with all your hearts to the Lord. And that you will leave changed with God's truth in your heart. We never want to walk into this place and walk back out the same person Every encounter with God's word should lead us, leave us differently. So right now, don't, you don't need to head out to the games. Let's worship him first. And then you can head out and do your thing. We love you guys so much. Let's worship. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. 
For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.